Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Aiko. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you. Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn hero, sir. Ain't we just? It was the summer of 1969, and something magical was happening deep in the heart of New York City. Gladys Knight and the Pips mesmerizing the crowd with their live performance of I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yes, one of the many all-star musical acts at the Harlem Cultural Festival. The Harlem Cultural Festival was this beautiful event, Fly and the Family Stone, B.B. King, Nina Simone. Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? All types of artists, pop acts of the day, gospel acts like Mahalia Jackson, all these key figures in black music came together. The breathtaking performance is so beautifully documented in vivid color. Now featured in the new Hulu documentary, Summer of Soul, directed by Amir Thompson, otherwise known as Questlove. This film is unpacking a lot of emotion for people that I didn't realize. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I have one of our two guests who's going to be joining us for uh, part of this uh, this episode. Uh, and she's going to tell us her name and the name of the project that she's working on. Oh, but before we do that, before we get uh, her to introduce herself, obviously because I've thrown this whole introduction out of whack, I'm going to get my colleague to introduce himself, uh, and then he can pass the buck. Oh, hi. I'm the forgotten producer, Dave. Lovely to be here yet again. And, uh, and Cecile, over to you. Hi. Well, welcome, and thank you. You know, well, she's to welcome I'm the one you know guest but um yeah it's lovely to be here um thank you very much for you know inviting me um my name is Anne Cecile I am a writer a filmmaker and director and I'm originally French I, I spent uh, I lived in the UK for 22 years and I'm in Barcelona and I've been in Barcelona since 2017 so we have a world traveler here 
And um, this year I'm starting a new project with uh, two women, uh, women from business, uh, was doing fundraising and stuff like that. And another woman with social media, we're trying to combine the three business, creativity and social media to like uh, create content in Barcelona on social media, a short film, and then eventually a TV series. That's fantastic, and Cecile, welcome to our show. Uh, we heard about you from a guest who's gonna be joining us shortly. Um, she'll she'll be miffed that we started this session without her, but it's okay. Uh, Louise uh, Briggs, uh, Louise Briggs Anderson, who came on to talk about her short film *The Pill*, which was recently at the Paris International Film Festival, and we'd known about this project from last year when we spoke with one of the producers on the project, and she mentioned she's coming out with a book, which is about uh, the about the the process of making that particular film, remote filmmaking you know, producing a film across the globe. And she brought you to our attention, mentioned the fact that you are in preparation of making your own short film. So while Louise isn't here, let's just laser beam focus on you and your project. So the, the short film that you're making, you, you talked about a short film that you're making as well. What is that short film about? Well, it's called The Penis Conundrum. So it's a comedy, not a drama with that title. You wouldn't expect that, wouldn't you? But um, yeah. Surprised. You would be surprised. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a, a, an idea I've had about uh, how women relate to sexuality. There's this thing about the shame sometimes we feel, stuff like that. And it was sort of comedy around that. And uh, from the female perspective, and it's about a woman who is a little bit strict and she finds herself a little, she freaks out during a meeting when she sees the outline of a colleague's penis through his trousers. And that's the idea from then on and how she deals with that and rather doesn't know how to deal with that and uh, relationship with the boyfriend and everything. And it's a lot of laugh out loud comedy, but it's also, you know, there's a theme behind it as well. See, I'm gonna prefix this next question with saying that um, I always ask this question whenever I ask people about the films that I'm making. So it, it, it's, it's, anyway, I'm just going to throw the question. What inspired the, the idea for this yeah. film? <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, again, it was like, uh, I've been, well, a bit about my background, I've been a screenwriter for a while and I found it difficult as a woman to sort of break through and particularly with stories that were particular to me, my sense of humor, my perspective. And the idea was like, now I'm going to make films. And uh, I wanted to do something, not go the usual route, i.e. to festivals and stuff like that. I wanted to do something, uh, collaborate with an influencer, put it on social media, get a million views. That's the idea. And I had to come up with the craziest idea I've had in the world, which was this short story based on my own reflections. On one day I was thinking about sex and I was thinking, it's funny how women, we don't talk about these things. And then it would be funny for people, for men to find out about that you know, side of us, you know, they may not be aware of. And then also for one else to just have a good laugh. And I think also it's very timely. I mean, initially it was after COVID, but then obviously, I mean, now it's, you know, even more so, I suspect that probably we need humor in our lives. So, so that, that's why, you know, inspired me to do that. And also because it's a title, no one would forget, it goes again with the idea of the social media side of it you know like getting an audience for it you know either you hate it or you don't like it we don't forget this project because you're not you know you come back and say well this and the one with the penis can I, oh yeah that thing with the penis and our logo is an aubergine and we're trying on social media and we're trying to do it every week as well like a little story about an aubergine going places in barcelona and stuff like that so so we're trying to combine the two so yeah you know what, you're embracing the branding premise of being the woman with the penis 
Uh, if you feel that's going to work for you, then that's great. We're happy to promote uh, your your project, which is the short, if I remember the, the name you said, was the penis conundrum. Yeah. So uh, now a, a couple more questions just about that. Uh, is short entirely based in the room, in the office, or does this uh, does our character, our main character, leave the room and then it's sort of the impact of having had that encounter following her as she carries on with her life? Exactly. Well, it's um, it's interesting that you think a woman would be labelled about penis because she does this story. I think it's an interesting perspective, but I don't think it's really the case. But um, but in terms of yes, you're right. The first part is is in the in in the office and her experience with that. But then it transfers to her own relationship with a boyfriend and how she crosses over and like the stuff that she doesn't dare tell him. So it's it's a two part thing about how in society we react about things. So in the environment, professional environment where you're supposed to have codes and all sorts of things, but also in your private life is the stuff you don't dare tell your partner, for example, which is also I think is relevant theme in, in general. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we've just been talking with uh, Anne Cecile, who's talking about her film, uh, her short film, which she's about to make called The Penis Conundrum. And she was introduced to us by our guest who's just jumped in on the show. Please introduce yourself and tell us, first of all, how you got to know Anne Cecile. Hi, Marcus. So my name is Louisa Brex Anderson, and I am a, a writer and film director from originally from Denmark, but I've been living in Barcelona, Spain for the past 16 years. And yeah, so me and, and Cecile, we met each other during the pandemic, so online. <laughs> and um, it was, I think it was when I was in the middle of doing my crowdfunding campaign for my short film, The Pill. Um, and we did it in a little bit of a different way, unique way, where we really used our filmmakers community, an online community we had on Facebook. Um, and so instead of offering your typical perks, we tried to come up with something that really had value to people um, so that they could both uh, support the film, but also get something out of it. So we did a lot of master classes with industry professionals from around the world. And I think that was around that time when Anne Cecile reached out to me on, you know, I think it was probably through Facebook and we spoke um, and she was interested in the process and how we were doing the project. So we just kind of immediately connected and realized we were both based here in Barcelona, um, both female filmmakers and, you know, kind of wanting to do the same thing and breaking out of some of the norms and typical ways of doing things. Um, so yeah, so that's how we met. And it took us, I think, about six months before we actually met in person, although living in the same city. <laughs> it goes without saying how the web and internet has brought the world closer together. So even though you yes. happen to be in the same city, you didn't really know about each other until you were working on a global project. And then you found someone who's right like a few miles away from you. Uh, and your project, The Pill, which was at the Paris International Film Festival recently, uh, is that what inspired the book that you've written, Remote Filmmaking? Yes, that is So tell correct. us how, that, how the, the two of them tied together. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as we talked about the last time when I was on your show, Marcus, um, the pill was made uh, remotely. So it was made with people from nine different countries. 
uh, and I think if it were like seven different time zones, uh, which was the most challenging part. But there are loads of other parts that were quite challenging when you do a project in remote. Um, and so at some point, having done it and successfully, because we came out with a film and it went on on the festival circuit and everyone was happy. Um, so my initial idea was actually to do a little workshop um, on remote filmmaking. And so I started to write some material and I just kept writing and writing and writing. And I thought, oh my God, this is more than just a workshop. <laughs> I have material for a book. So I kept writing and was really enjoying it and also kind of happy to be able to give something back to the community because I really felt uh, very, very supported and motivated by my filmmaking community. And so it was a way of those like some 20 years of experience I have in independent filmmaking and doing short films and smaller productions and low budget things, and then combining them with doing it in collaboration with people from all over the world, which is really something that the pandemic opened up for us. At least we're now more open to do it in this kind of hybrid way. So my book was very much a way of I don't know, I, I guess I wanted to inspire people not necessarily to do the same thing as I have done, but just letting people know you can do things in different ways. You don't have to do it the way it's been done always. <laughs> you have challenges? Well, look at them and see if you can use them to your advantage. Excellent. And, and, and Cecile, as you, with your project, The Penis Conundrum of the Short is coming out. First of all, and you can, you can say it with uh, Louise uh, still staring at you through Zoom, have you read Louise's book yet? No, but I, not yet. But I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, uh, yeah, we're thinking about like, uh, I'm going to definitely go purchase it. I have a, um, I am actually mentioned at the end a little bit. So, <laughs> so just, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because she's got a lot of experience and she's inspired me actually um, with what she did because besides, you know, she offered, like she said, some of the master classes that she thought, and this is what I'm doing. I'm actually, I haven't have shot teaser for the short, but I'm actually crowdfunding at the moment and I'm offering classes as well. Some uh, indie filmmaking classes I'm offering, I'm doing, so have had a look at my audience and these are business women and also women, people in, who are breaking through in sort of like indie filmmaking. So I'm offering indie master classes with people in business, but also a promo video for women in business, that kind of thing. And then um, Barcelona Tourist Guide, because we're based in Barcelona and that's part of the brand as well. So um, I was really inspired by Louise. So I have no doubt that her book is going to be absolutely wonderful. And when was, uh, before I start shooting, I definitely want to buy it to find all the tips and tricks as well. So yes. That's a, and that's an excellent way that you just brought in the fact that you're currently crowdfunding for, uh, for your film, The Penis Conundrum. And I know everybody, the word crowdfunding is ubiquitous right now, but for the person who's been living on the rock that doesn't understand what crowdfunding entails, especially for film, uh, and, and Cecile, can you help us? What does crowdfunding mean? Okay, crowdfunding, actually, well, I'll put on the side, it's one part of what we're doing, but crowdfunding is basically um, you're asking people to donate um, for your project. So um, usually what people do is they say, oh, you know, I'm making this wonderful project and they try it through a video, try to sort of intel, you know, entice people to, to, to pledge for you, well, not donate because you don't pledge, you donate 
And um, so it's always a little bit complicated because you get as many people, because, you know, as you know, uh, filmmaking, short film costs quite a lot of money. So it's a complicated um, process, but uh, so it's always trying to be inventive. Hence, you know, what Louise was mentioning, the thing of us offering something as a perk that is actually useful to the person who donates is a great tool, but it's, it's, um, it's a hard thing to do, yes. And to do crowdfunding. And that's, this is why I've teamed up with a, someone in business who's used to raising funds from, uh, for startups. So crowdfunding is the initial thing we're doing for people and get will be also people interested in a project, but the donations will be, will be approaching donors who from companies and angel investors and stuff like that as well. And you're doing the crowdfunding campaign before you begin shooting the film or is yeah. it shooting the film? Yes, I think it's very much going to inform how, how we're going to do this um, because we don't want to be out of budget. We don't have the money or a trust fund or anything like that, sadly. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're here with two filmmakers, uh, Anne Cecile, who's been talking to us about her short film, The Penis Conundrum, which she's currently crowdfunding for, and Louise Briggs Anderson, who uh, made her short film last year, uh, The Pill, which was at the Paris International Film Festival this year. And she's now coming out with a book called Remote Filmmaking. You can get it on Amazon uh, right now. You can get it on Facebook as well. We're going to be putting some links on the show notes uh, in the show notes for this podcast episode so that you can click on it and go and buy remote filmmaking. Now, Louise, Anne, Anne Cecile hasn't read your book, so shame on Anne Cecile. So let's come to you first of all uh, to give us some of the insights that we may get from reading this book that was going to be a workshop, but you've now turned into something we can pick up, we can pick up and read. Right. So I, I just want to say that the book came out yesterday, so <laughs> don't be too hard on Anne Cecile. <laughs> No, no, uh, don't, let, don't, don't let her off the hook. Don't let her off the hook. She should almost, have read the book before it came out. So it's fine. True, true. I should actually have sent her a copy because as she mentioned, um, I do have a, at the end of the book, I have um, a couple of interviews, well, actually several interviews, small mini interviews, I call them, because this book has been written through my eyes and I'm a writer and director. So it's obviously very focused on my position in, in a filmmaking process. And I kind of wanted to pay tribute to some of the other um, crew members and cast uh, of a film crew. And so I reached out to some of the people who've been working on the pill and also to Anne Cecile because she's kind of in the middle of it. And she's also now um, doing a lot of stuff online and working with, with people remotely. So I sent them all a couple of questions that they would then reply to and have included it in my book. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting for the reader as well to get that different perspective. Um, and then the book basically goes through the whole filmmaking process with a very much with a focus on smaller productions and such as short films or yeah, really small indie productions with low budgets. But I also think that it gives the reader, I mean, if you're in very early stages of your career, um, you can definitely learn some more advanced things in the book as I also go into um, how I do my script breakdown as a director, how I prepare myself for shooting and, and also how I do uh, rehearsals. That's another interesting thing to do uh, remotely. <laughs> how do you actually rehearse with actors uh, remotely? Um, 
And then I have a full chapter on production, the production itself, which I have to say I did not do because we did shoot on location in Barcelona. So my entire pre-production and post-production was done remotely, but I was on the actual shoot. However, I have a very good friend who's a French director and he has done shooting uh, remotely. So via streaming. So just like what we're doing right now, he actually um, directed some, uh, a big commercial, well, a couple of commercials. Um, so I have a full interview with him where he really breaks down the whole process, all the challenges, and also talk about specific programs um, that he's using for his workflow. Um, so I think you, you can really find the, the book useful in many different aspects. If you're in your early stages of your career, you can use it as a filmmaking guide in general. And if you have a little bit more of experience, you can use it as a guide to um, figuring out like tools and programs and workflows and ways of creating communities as well, which is an important part of it and the whole festival strategy at the end. Um, so yeah, and this is why uh, me and Anne Cecile, we joined forces and wanted to kind of launch our two projects at the same day yesterday, which was International Day, uh, Women's Day, International Women's Day, um, because it, somehow we were connected. So she was in my book uh, with her giving her um, mini interview and I'll also, I will be giving one of the master classes on remote filmmaking through her crowdfunding campaign. And so in this way, we could help each other both um, on social media, online, but also when we go out to networking events and kind of supporting each other and giving each other um, attention and talking about each other's projects. So again, this is kind of a maybe a new way of collaborating and taking two projects with seemingly don't have anything to do with each other, but somehow they are connected. And, and so we support each other as filmmakers. I would like to add something about the book as well. And uh, if you don't mind, because I know the content of it, what I like about Louis' perspective is that she doesn't say, this is how you do it. Because I think there are lots of books out there tell you, this is how you do it. This is the way, or oh, there is no other way. And I think, this is a, a really wise of her to do that because I think, like I said, I was inspired by the masterclasses that she was offering, but I'm doing something different with social media. And then she, like, so we're constantly learning, we're constantly finding our feet, we're all doing different projects. So I think it's what I love about it is like, it gives you this template, like this is what worked for me. These are great, great advice, but then, you know, encourage people as well to, you know, create their own stuff, their own way. And I think I, I love that perspective about the book that's, I know that's in the book. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And uh, ob obviously, uh, I was blaming you for not having read her book, but obviously Louise didn't send you a copy. So it's yeah. not on Louise uh, to, to have, to, should, she should have done that. Um, and Cecile, let me ask you, I want to ask you a question uh, and then I'll throw it to producer Dave because I think producer Dave has a question as well. Uh, in fact, actually, you know what, I'll throw it to producer Dave because I've been talking quite a bit. Producer Dave, go on, ask your question. Imagine someone you know who was never working in the film industry and all of a sudden turns around and says to you, okay, uh, I've decided I want to make, I, I want to get into making films. What advice would you give them? So I think it depends where they're coming from with it, because I personally was a screenwriter for many years. So I think that's one perspective. So um, uh, I would say to start with, I think 
I tried to watch a lot of film and learn about, um, you know, even YouTube videos on, on how to learn things, connect with people. I think networking is great. Try to learn from people who are the same level as you. I think social media is great for that, to try to connect with other people on the same level as you to start with. And then maybe there's wealth of, of, of experience you can learn online, I think, uh, doing through connections. And you, you will need those connections. I think that's the thing as well. You need connections you know, with people in your field to, to, to move forward. So I think that would be the start for me. That's how I started anyway, just through social media, finding my crowd, finding people. And then that's how I met Louise. And I think we feed off each other. So I think that's how, that would be my advice. And read some great books as well on remote filmmaking, for example. Like, yes, like remote filmmaking. So let's use that as a <laughs> well to Louise. Louise, uh, following David's question, what kind of advice would you give to someone who has decided that they want to embark on a career in filmmaking? I would tell them, don't do it. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, you know what? I would ask them, how sure are you that you want this? Uh, I mean, first, evaluate your own passion for this because uh, at the end of the day, it's not only a job, it's a lifestyle, I would say, for most of us. Um, it's not like a from nine to five job. It, it, it's a job that takes a lot of work, a lot of energy. Um, you're going to fail about a million times. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel frustrated. And the thing that has to drive you forward and drive you to keep going is the passion for film and wanting to tell stories. So if you have that passion, then, I, I mean, obviously I would say go for it because I do have the passion. And even if I decided to stop, I know I couldn't, I would somehow do it anyways. So there's just something inside me that has a need for telling stories and creating. Um, so after that, I would tell the person, well, there are two aspects of it. You, um, you might have, you know, some talent for it, but you also need to learn a lot of things. There are, um, do's and don'ts in the industry and you need to know some basics so you know whether that has to be going to film school or doing youtube videos or finding some online workshops or being in a community where you can learn from or even shadowing other filmmakers um, there are many ways to do it and it all depends on what time and money you have and you know your resources it depends where we come from um yeah uh, most of it comes down to money really because <laughs> uh, film school is, is expensive but anyways and then the other aspect of it is what um cecile and cecile also touched upon and that is networking it is huge in our industry networking you cannot be a shy person sitting at home not going out and meeting people or not really wanting to spend time on social media no you have to go out there. You have to put yourself out there. You have to find your community. Um, you have to find filmmaking groups. And it takes a long time. People think that, oh, all I need is to find a producer and I'm going to pitch this producer and then he or she is going to make my project. It doesn't work like that. You have to form real human relationships with people. And then maybe you can start pitching them. So it takes years and you have to be prepared for that, I think. Um, and those are the two big aspects of filmmaking. So as a completely new person who knows nothing, I would say, choose your path, look at what resources, money and so on you have, how can you learn? 
and then start putting yourself into filmmaking groups, whether that's online or in person, going to film festivals, volunteer to do work. Um, there are many different ways of creating those contacts and those communities. Fantastic. You're, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And I very rudely interrupted Anne Cecile, a filmmaker who's about to make her short at the Penis Conundrum, as well as uh, uh, listening to Louise Briggs Anderson, filmmaker as well, and now writer. She uh, was a filmmaker behind the film The Pill, and she's now written the book uh, Remote Filmmaking, which is out on Amazon and a number of other avenues. Uh, Anne Cecile, I want to jump to you. First, finish your thoughts, and then I've got a question to ask you, then Louise, and then we can wrap up. Yeah, unfortunately, we are, we are still in that thought about the struggling artist. And I think it's a shame that uh, the mindset is like, oh, people can do stuff for free. And I think hopefully we'll change that in the future. So that, that was just a comment. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so yes, uh, the whole idea of, I guess, I guess when you get to a point where because money and capital investments is strapped, especially for films, unless you're Warner Brothers or Fox or Disney, et cetera, people are less likely to invest in your film. And as such, the filmmaker is then forced to start asking people, can you do this for a discount price or for free? But you're asking to do stuff who have bills, et cetera, to pay, and you get that clash that's there. I totally understand where you're coming from. Being someone who's been on both sides of that question, I know exactly what you're, where, where you're coming from. Um, now, Anne Cecile, I want to talk about your crowdfunding campaign. What platforms are you using uh, for your crowdfunding campaign? I'm using Indiegogo. I had the thought about that for a while. You know, there's a Season Spark, you know, Kickstarter that we use as well. And I had a, I was thinking long and hard about this, but uh, I don't think it's that important, really. But one of the reasons for Indiegogo, it's a little bit pinkish and it's similar to our sort of like what graphic we use and then secondly it's flexible which i mean i'm not stressed about like if i don't make the the money i'm asking for then i can still keep whatever i've been given so that was a deciding factor for me as well yeah i i have used indigo indigo in the past you're right whatever you raise you keep um although if you don't hit your target there is a huge like penalty that indiegogo tends to take from your from your amount so that's that's something that people should be aware of to help you get to your target so you don't pay Indiegogo as much if, you know, as if you didn't. So what kind of perks can we expect in, if we were to donate on Indiegogo? There's a series of six master classes. We, we sell them at 50 euros um, each or 150 for all, which uh, works out 67% off. Um, it's going to be on um, sales agents. Um, do you need a sales agent? Or, you know, you know um, because before you make your film, you should be thinking about that distribution. And I think it's an interesting process. Two producers, Hollywood producers, we're going to talk about that, uh, indie producers. And that aspect is going to be a career strategy from two, um, again, in LA, based uh, husband and wife, writer, producer, Mark and Anna Casaday. We're going to talk about, you know, with the trust strategy development, all this thing you're going through um, at the moment. You're going to have um, Louise and Jeremiah, who are two um, uh, up and coming indie filmmakers who are basically being successful as in raising funds, but also, you know, creating films and stuff. So they're over starting out, but it's still in that process. So they're learning a lot from them. So if you're starting out, it's very interesting to find out as well. 
We're going to have a, a thing about pitching. And as someone from the business side, I'm bringing out, because I'm bringing people from business and sort of creative side, because I think it's pressing. So this woman, she's like the queen of pitching. So it's going to be about, you know, uh, raising your elevator, elevator pitch. We are going to have, so what would we have? Like, I'm, I'll probably have a go and have a look, but um, how to make a, a documentary filmmaker called Clemonesso is going to teach us how to make a behind the scene videos, which is be interesting. Ah, social media is another side. I have a British influencer who's going to uh, hold a class of that because he's a, a, an influencer and a uh, filmmaker called Hugh Samuel, and he's uh, going to tell us how to use social media to get an audience. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so we have that. And, oh, yeah, and a lawyer, a copyright, an IP lawyer is going to tell us about copyrights and stuff like that and the stuff that students should not do and be careful about. And I think Louise got a great, great example when she did a documentary where she had some Elvis songs on in the background and that prevented her from, uh, so, you know, doing the thing. So these are all the classes we're doing and we're doing like also separately a, a tourist guide made by locals and that's actually quite painful for us because we're going to tell all our favorite places and we're trying to hide them from tourists but anyway <laughs> anyway that's gonna be it you know we're good so if you love barcelona we are gonna out of love for you we're gonna give you this and then t-shirts of course and then uh, finally a promo video for business people want to know uh, you know how to make a book successful brand through you know video producing those are some fantastic perks perks and uh, we'd love to we're, like we said we're going to put the link um on the show notes for this episode when it goes out uh, so we will push as many people as we can to go and uh, support the penis conundrum uh, and so then you can make the film and then you can come back on our show and tell us all about how it was made and uh, producer dave will have tons of questions to ask about what women think about men talking about their penises, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Anne Cecile and Louise Briggs Anderson, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. Like we said, please come back and talk to us about your projects at future dates. Thank you so much, Thank you so much. It was great being here again and sharing this time with Anne Cecile. She's really very talented. I'm super impressed with her, you know, hardworking spirit. And I can't recommend enough to go and and support her project. That's what we have to do as indie filmmakers, support each other. Yeah, oh, that's, that's really sweet. That's really sweet. It almost makes up for you not having sent to you as well. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Speak to you. Bye. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And this is Film and TV News. So we'll, we have two main items that we'll talk about in Film and TV News. Uh, we'll start off with some sad news, then we'll move on to some more celebratory news. Uh, so it was announced this week that actor, Oscar-winning actor William Hurt passed away at the age of 71. Filmmakers, film lovers uh, would would recognize William Hurt um, from a from there's a long list of movies that you recognize this man from. He was he, he, he has such an impressive career. Uh, he was uh, one of the first big roles that he's known for. Broadcast News in the 70s, Body Heat in the 80s. He was nominated for an Academy Award three times, and he won it in 1985 for Kiss of the Spider Woman. 
but people will recognize him more from stuff like broadcast news, history of violence. He popped up in history of violence. I remember him a lot in that one. Um, but obviously, younger fans will recognize him as General Ross from the MCU movies. So the human nemesis of the Hulk, because he was father to Betty Ross, and he kept on chasing uh, Bruce Banner. Um, and he, he, he popped up in the modern MCU first, in The Incredible Hulk, where he was chasing the Ed Norton Bruce Banner. But they kept him, even though they didn't keep anyone else uh, in, that, in that movie. They kept him, though. Uh, and brought him into Civil War, and they brought him into Black Widow and Infinity Infinity War. But anyway, um, William Hurt uh, died of natural causes seventy a week before his seventy second birthday. Like I said, very well known figure in the in the film community. A uh, lot lot of outpouring uh, from various people who worked with him. Uh, Mark Ruffalo recently. Um, uh, posted on Twitter about him, uh, but yeah, so that it's one of those things where the, you, you, we all experience this, right? So year in year out, it's sort of like there's a slew of big actors or big name personalities that sort of pass, and you you know, it's you always think, oh no, 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 that person died too soon. That person died too soon. Seventy two or seventy one is so it is a ripe old age, but I mean, it's still young, right? It's still considered very young for uh, for an actor or for a person, but not just an actor. But anyway, I'm rambling. I always ramble whenever I talk about someone dying because I don't really know how to sort of properly digest my emotions. I'm I'm an emotional child, so I don't know how to really process it. But um, it's uh, rest in peace, William Hurt. He has a huge body of work. Definitely want to go back and watch a lot of the stuff that he's been doing, just because he's just—he he, he was always a great presence when he came on screen. You, you trusted him when he came on screen. Had this very calm persona, calm character. It was like a quiet storm brewing in him. Uh, um, History of Violence is one of my favorite films with him in it. Um, He's—he and he's, hes in a very small role in it. Not a very small role. He's the main antagonist, but he pops up towards the end. And when he pops into the room, you can, you can, you can, he's just, he delivers his roles and his, his performances with such nuance and such brilliance. It's, uh, it'll be a shame. It's a shame to see him go, but there's still, like I said, a whole body of work that he's left behind that people can still go and enjoy and remember the man that he was. So, William Hurt, rest in peace. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Ackel. And I'm producer Dave. And also this week, we had the BAFTA Film Awards 2022. Uh, it happened, we, we, haven't, we, didn't speak, we didn't speak about it at all, mainly because we were uh, focused on the Paris International Film Festival. So because we focused a lot on that and interviewed a lot of those filmmakers who were at that film festival, we didn't get the chance to really talk much about the coming uh, award show with the BAFTAs. We did talk about the Oscars, which is in a few weeks' time, um, but yes, the BAFTAs came and uh, Producer Dave, you said you watched the BAFTAs? I didn't watch the whole BAFTAs, I watched the beginning of the BAFTAs and I was very, very, very impressed with with Dame Shirley Bassey's rendition of Diamonds Are Forever, which she did for the original film, but at 85 years old, she went on stage alive and sang it note perfect. It was brilliant. It was a really brilliant rendition. 
there's some of there's some of these uh, some of these crooners who are just fantastic. No matter how old they get, you got. I mean, you still got Tom Jones who's still singing. You got Tony Bennett who you see him walk on the stage and you worry he's going to crumble over, but the man still belts us belts out his tunes and he's fantastic. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't get to watch Shelley Bassey perform, but hey, you know, I'm sure I can go and find it on YouTube. Anyway, but the BAFTA is obviously about films, uh, British Academy Awards, if you will. And it, it, I guess now that the Golden Globes have sort of fallen out of favor from a lot of people, BAFTAs can now be seen as the precursor to the Oscars. Obviously, BAFTA is, is big in its own right, but let's go through some of the main categories and see who some of the winners were. Uh, best film, the one category that I actually caught, because I caught the end of the BAFTAs uh, when, it was, when it aired, and I saw this win and I was like, I, I said that was going to happen. And I realized I said that was going to happen for the Oscars. But it's great. It means that I'm, I'm on track to winning at least part of my accumulator. So, so uh, the categories, the category of best film, the films that were in that category, we had The Power of the Dog, which is on Netflix. We had Belfast, Don't Look Up, Dune, and Licorice Pizza. And Power of the Dog won it. That's the Jane Campion film with Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, not Kirsten Stewart, Kirsten Dunst. So The Power of the Dog, it took best film. Producer Dave, have you seen any of those films in that list? Uh, not a single one. Not a single one. I've not seen Power of the Dog yet, The Power of the Dog. I haven't seen that one yet, but I have seen Don't Look Up and I have seen Dune. I, do, I did like both of those films. I didn't think... I didn't think... Um, don't look up would pick it. I, the power of the dog was one that I knew would win because it is a it's ranch. It's a ranch film, right? It's like set in ranch country, America. So vast landscape and the beautiful cinematography, and it's Jane Campion, and it's Benedict Cumberbatch doing Oscar Oscar performances and whatnot. I knew that that was going to pick. So I knew the power of the dog was going to win. Although I thought Belfast would give it a, a, a run for its money. It's Kenneth Branagh. It's black and white. It's about, uh, you know, um, it's nostalgic for the days of Ireland. So I, that kind of had a lot going for it. So I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that Belfast didn't win. But yes, the power of the dog picked that one. Uh, anyway, the British category, obviously, the uh, BAFTAs have a an outstanding British film category. And that's where Belfast won. So Belfast beat films like After Love, Ali and Ava, Boiling Point, Cyrano, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, House of Gucci, Last Night in Soho, No Time to Die, and Passing. So Belfast picked that one up. So hey, there you go. So Belfast obviously gave um, the other one a run for its money, the, the main best film category, The Power of the Dog, What It, and then Belfast took best uh, outstanding British film. Then we move into um, leading actor, which again, you know, boosted my my confidence in the fact that I know what I'm talking about because in the list uh, where you had uh, Stephen Graham in, from Boiling Point, Leonardo DiCaprio from Don't Look Up, Benedict Cumberbatch from The Power of the Dog, Mahershala Ali from The Song, Adele Akhtar from Ali and Ava, and, of course, Will Smith from King Richard, who comes out on top for my pick, for the Oscar for the leading actor, um, Will Smith. So Will Smith won the BAFTA. Now, and there was, who was it that had that? I think it was Sean Penn, the year Sean Penn had his run where, and was it Sean Penn? 
I think it was Sean Penn, where he won the BAFTA, won the Golden Globe, but they didn't give him the Oscar. I think it was Sean Penn. I, might, I need to double check that just to make sure. So I could be wrong, you know, still could be wrong, but I'm 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 saying Will it's Will Smith's year for the Oscar because two two Oscar contentions. No, not two. Actually, yeah, I think it's two that he's gone. He had the first one was for Ali, blistering performance, but he didn't get given it because at that year I think they felt Denzel Washington deserved it because they didn't give him the year before for Hurricane, so they gave it to him for Training Day. And then the next time Will Smith got nominated was for The Pursuit of Happiness, where in the cinema, there was one where he's there in the bathroom and he's holding his son, Jaden. Um, and I was, I turned around to, to whomever I was with watching that film. And I said, that, that scene has just won Will Smith that Oscar. Sure enough, he got nominated. And I was like, yes, he's going to win it. But obviously the Academy thought Forrest Whitaker deserved it for King of, last King of Scotland. So Will Smith got turfed aside again. Now King Richard has popped up. Again, another um, biopic. Well, it's not a biopic, but it's you know based on a true story, based on the uh, on uh, the, the father of Serena and Venus Williams. So I believe this one is going to be Will Smith's Oscar win. So I think Will Smith is going to take that Oscar. Anyway, he took the BAFTA. So if he doesn't take the Oscar, at least he can uh, satisfy himself with the British Academy Award. Then we have leading actress. And in the list, we have Tessa Thompson in Passing. We have Renate Rienciv in The Worst Person in the World. We have Amelia Jones in Coda. Uh, Alana Haim in Licorice Pizza. Uh, Lady Gaga in House of Gucci. And Joanna Scanlon for after love and Joanna Scanlon picked that one. She won that one. Uh, I, I, I I saw that pop up at the rain dance. Um, was it dance that it popped up at, or was it British International? No, British. I think it was the British Independent Film Festival that it came up, and it did very very well there. So that one, I'm not surprised that it picked up. Uh, that the, she picked up the uh, the Oscar. I haven't seen the film, but uh, yeah. So I've heard nothing but good things. Then best supporting, we'll talk about best supporting actress, best supporting actor, and we'll talk about um, director, and then we can and then we can wrap up, move on to another topic. So uh, best supporting actress, uh, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, she won that. She's in my pick for the Oscar for best supporting actress for Oscar. So again, that's what I think is going to happen. I think she's going to win that. She beat out Kaitrona. Uh, Balfe, I may pronounce the name or Balf from Belfast, Jesse Buckley from The Lost Daughter, and Dowd from Mass, uh, Ingenue Ellis from King Richard, and Ruth Nager in Passing. Uh, and then Best Supporting Actor, uh, Troy Kotsu from Coda, he won that. Uh, uh, Mike Faced in West Side Story, he win that. Kieran Hines, now Kieran Hines is the person I thought was going to get Best Supporting Actor in. Uh, in the Oscars. And so I thought he was going to win it in the BAFTA, but I guess I was wrong. So he didn't win it. So that might be the one that knocks my accumulator, um, you know, sends it a little bit sideways. So I'll, I'll check to see if I have enough time to be able to correct my accumulator. Or no, I'll just keep it. I'll keep it in there and see what happens. Uh, Woody Norman from Come On, Come On, Jesse Plemons from The Power of the Dog, and Cody Smith McPhee uh, from The Power of the Dog. Uh, so Troy Kotsu. 
from Calder won the Best Supporting Actor in the BAFTA Academy Awards or the British Academy Awards. And the final category we're going to look at today is Best Director or the director of the, the one, the person who won the Best Director for BAFTA. You know, the best, oof, I've lost my words. The, the winner of the, the Best Director at the BAFTA went to Jim for The Power of the Dog, which I also believe was going to, I said the same thing for the Oscars. Um, I believe I said it, but that might have just been in my head. And uh, maybe actually revising my own memory. I think I said it. Producer Dave, did I say that? Did I say Jane Campion was going to win it? Uh, I think you did, yeah. Good. Because as I was saying that, a thought popped in my head just saying, maybe in my head I'm revising history. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now saying that Jane Campion is going to win it. But who knows? I, I, at this exact moment right now, I believe I said that Jane Campion is going to win uh, the Oscar for The Power of the Dog because she has such a uh, she has such an artistic back catalogue of films and hasn't really been shown much love by the Academy Awards. Uh, and as such, I think she's it's one of those things where she's done a, she, she's done a film that is considered an amazing film. I, I'm, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. It is considered amazing by a lot of the people who vote for various festivals. And so since it's doing well, since BAFTA has basically said, right, you have um, best director and best film. I don't see why the same thing is not happen with the Oscars. So uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Before we move on, before we move on, I just want to mention um, a film that I'm going to be watching very shortly. Anyway, uh, it won best documentary, which is Summer of Soul. And for people who don't know anything about Summer of Soul, Summer of Soul is the film that was made during a concert that was held in New York around about the same time as Woodstock. However, unfortunately, all the um, films, all the film was hidden in a basement for years and years and years. And it was Questlove who brought it back, back to people's attention. And it was, it was, it was done really, really well. I've started watching it and I didn't have time to finish it. So that's why I said I haven't seen any of them, but um, I was really impressed with what I saw so far, particularly the bit that I got to, which was Stevie Wonder singing. It was absolutely amazing. So yeah, I wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. And um, you said that the Benedict Cumberbatch film. Yes, The Power of the Dog. The Power of the Dog, that's a Netflix film you said. That is on Netflix. Yes, it's currently on Netflix. Right. So if you're on Netflix, you can get it. If I remember correctly, The Harder They Fall is on is Netflix film as well, isn't it? Um, the Harder They Yes, it is. Hold on. Let me just jump back into it because Harder The Harder They Fall, that one outstanding debut yes, it by a British writer, director, or producer. The Harder mm. They Fall. That I thought I recognized that the, the name of that. Um so that that beat out After Love, um, it beat out boiling point it beat out uh, keyboard fantasies and passing uh but yes hard before um how did they fall i've seen um and I, I i think it's a it's an amazing film it's it's a it's a western with a majority uh black cast it's got idris elba in it it's got oh uh, names um regina hall is in it who else is in it uh well the the, the lady that plays domino in deadpool um Oh, I just think man. it's amazing or interesting that the two Netflix films, which are Westerns, both won. Yes, you're right. That's mm. a good point. 
Yes, so there you go. So how do they fall? Zazi Beats, that's it. Uh, from, I don't know, from Atlanta, from um, Deadpool. Jonathan Majors is in it as well. Uh, and it's it's just, it's really, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film. I really, really like it. Um, I've watched, I watched it twice and I really enjoyed it. Happy to go watch it again. But you're right, absolutely. It's like, I remember it, not so long ago, what, four, five, six years ago, all of these festivals were saying, films from netflix can should not be in contention you know i remember when when netflix said that and netflix were pretty much banned or netflix actually turned around and said nope they're not going to put any of their films in can because the studios were complaining fast forward to today and you have the two films that are like racking up you got you've got netflix racking up tons and tons of these kind of awards i mean you had um what was the what was the Netflix film, the black and white Netflix film that won best film or did, 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 they get, yeah, did it win best film at the Oscars? Um, but yeah, they, they are pretty much, they're now a force to be reckoned with Netflix. Um, they're, they're, they're a major powerhouse studio themselves. And one of the main reasons, and uh, one of the producers said it on the, when she was receiving the BAFTA, she said how much, uh, it, the reason why, one of the reasons why they were able to do what they could do was because they wanted to thank Netflix because Netflix just basically said, tell us what the budget you want and we will just stay back, you do your thing and let the filmmakers work, which is something that a lot of filmmakers have said they don't really get that amount of freedom when it comes to um, other major studios because the other studios will come in, they'll give notes, they'll uh, make corrections, they'll, do, they'll take away your edits. I mean, Warner Brothers recently, Warner Brothers and HBO, yeah, Warner Brothers, they're recently um, they're that way inclined for stuff to do with, I mean, you see the, uh, the DC movies, right? So that's what tends to happen. Look at Suicide Squad, look at, um, I mean, it's not DC, the um, uh, Fantastic Four, that's more Sony, but that kind of had this kind of problem. So you hear a lot of these problems with uh, the filming the studio always interferes, always comes in and takes final cut from the director. They don't give them enough budget to do the thing that they want and so on. Whereas Netflix, on the other hand, tend to give a lot of trust to their filmmakers and just say, tell us what the budget is, we'll give you the money, we'll do whatever you want. You raise an uh, important point there because um, a film that I was very much looking forward to seeing was messed up completely and utterly by the studio. And that was the, the New Mutants. Oh yes, the new mutants. Okay, they yes, completely and I mean, after forty minutes, I just could not watch anymore. It was just, it was such a mess. And mm. Suicide Squad, the original, the is not the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad that was messed up with as well. Yeah, of course, because they, there was a there's um is it David Ayer that did that one? So he said that there was actually an original cut of it, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy had come out just before that one had come out. And because of the reaction of Guardians of the Galaxy, because of the fun aspect, the use of pop culture music in it, and so on, that the studio stepped in and said they had to recut the uh, the whole film to add more pop music and more fun into it. Hence the reason why the first 20 minutes of it is just jam-packed with, you know, Rolling Stones and, and loads of like popular music just it becomes like a whole trailer just the first 10 minutes of it because they try to chop it to make it feel like Guardians of the Galaxy which then caused problems for the actual storytelling but yeah I see your point um 
but yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic news. Um, the uh, from uh, from uh, James Samuel for the Hard Day Four because, like I said, I really, really, I really like that film. Um, although Boiling Point was one I was, I'm surprised Hard Day Four picked it up as opposed to Boiling Point, which is is more quintessentially British than Hard Day Four. I mean, the whole set in America. I'm actually surprised that James Samuel is uh, is a British writer, director, or producer. Um, I mean, Idris Elba is, is British, obviously, uh, but Boiling Point is a UK uh, film. Uh, it's, it's it's very it has a lot going for it. It had it has Stephen Graham in it in, in the lead role. Uh, the writer producers are all British. Hester Ruff, uh, Hester Ruff it, she's a producer. She's British. James Cummings producer. He's British, and so on. And that actually was. It's a very strong. It's it's a it's a one take movie. The entire thing is done in one take, uh, and it's about this chef or this this chef who's running a very chaotic kitchen. Um, and it's, yeah, Stephen Graham plays a chef. It's I've seen you know, shorts, you know, like interviews and behind the scenes footage for the film, and I, I can't wait for the film. That film's actually coming out on Netflix in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, so soon it's coming on Netflix. So I'm surprised Boiling Point didn't get that outstanding debut, but hey, props to Holiday Four. I really enjoyed that movie. So yeah, well done, James Samuel. Listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And I, I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody for tuning in. I know we, I always say this every week, but I'll keep saying it constantly. We ramble incoherently about films and shows and stuff that we like, even though the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. Um, but, you know, those of you who take uh, one hour of your time or 59 minutes of your time to just sit down and listen to me ramble, even if it's not, even if you're just playing in the background while you're doing mundane stuff like mowing the lawn or washing dishes <laughs> or just staring into the sunset and watching your life while you listen to me ramble about stuff. I'm, I thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you allow me to live your life. And uh, yeah, I, I, I deeply appreciate it. And again, like always, I want to thank Resonance FM, the people at Resonance FM, for not listening to our show, because if they did listen to it, they'd probably cancel us. And so, uh, yeah, keep on not listening and keep on giving us your trust and keep on letting us uh, talk about our favorite TV shows and films. Uh, and next time we, we come back on, producer Dave, I want to do this. I want to, I want, because it's been such a long time since we've had an episode where we just talked about like the recent TV shows and the recent films that we watched and what we liked and what we didn't like about it. Are you up for that? For the next episode being something like that, we as we far might as get, that's fine yeah, by me. I, I, I'll just mention raising Dion. So you know, good. Yes. So I okay. So Dion, I started raising Dion. I and I started raising Dion ages ago before season two started. Uh, I I watched. I'm four episodes in, and I'm really liking it. That kid is amazing. That kid, the the, the, the character who plays Dion, he's the he's just. He's just so adorable. I just want to keep watching him. So I haven't gotten past episode four yet. I know season two has started. Uh, it's, it's on Netflix now, so I want to go and check it out. Um, but there are tons of things that I've watched recently that I want to I want to chat to you about. Uh, the the boys they have a new, there's a new cartoon a new animated uh, season which is kind of like telling uh, an anthology. For those of you who don't know the boys, it's on Amazon Prime. It is a 
is it Gareth Ennis? It's based on a graphic novel. Um, and yeah, so it's anyway, it, it, it's it, it's it's on there, but there are tons of other TV shows that I've been catching up on. So we'll get the opportunity next week so we can chat all about it. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Paco. And I'm still producer Dave. I say thank you very much for listening. Let's be to all next time. Goodbye. Bye.